Please turn with me to Acts chapter 16. That's where we'll be this morning. Acts 16. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses of this chapter. Before we do so, go to the Lord in prayer with me so that we can have his help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would open it up to us just as we're going to read in this story. You you opened up this lady's heart that she might pay attention to Paul. And Lord, our hearts, our own hearts, have so many other things that would snag our attention away from you. And so Lord... We pray that you would open our hearts that we might hear from your word, that it might convict us of our sin and that it might lead us to the truth and worship of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I read through this passage, it made me think of a story that I read once, and it's a a baseball story. I pretty much talk about that in board games and maybe a few other little things. But in 1973, George Steinbrenner, you're all familiar with George Steinbrenner, he was watching his team play, the Yankees, the New York Yankees. And during the National Anthem, he was looking at his players and he noted that a lot of their hair was so long that he couldn't even tell what number they were. And so he actually, what he could see of the numbers, he wrote them down. He didn't actually know his players' names. Uh, He just knew their numbers. He wrote them down. He sent to them a message to cut their hair. And since that time in 73, um, they have been, they have what is known as the Yankees appearance policy. Steinbrenner was a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. He was now this corporate giant and he wanted his team to have a very similar look. A veteran that is wealthy and rich. Uh, very professional, always a sharp look to them. And this Yankee appearance policy is no facial hair except a mustache, which has to be neatly trimmed, which if you've looked at Yankees over the years, it's not always the case. And the hair cannot be below the collar. It has to be neatly cut. And since then, it has been a source of debate at times. For the most part, players conform. My favorite pitcher of my childhood and even my early adult life was a pitcher by the name of Randy Johnson, perhaps one of the best ever. Used, he used to have this very menacing appearance to him. He was like almost seven feet tall and his hair was crazy. And he would get up there and he would pitch and it was just, he just intimidated the batters. But then he got traded to the Yankees and he looked like he should be wearing a tie and carrying a briefcase. Completely changed his look. Recently, a top prospect for the Yankees by the name of Clint Frazier. He had these really bright red hair, and it was really long and intimidating, I guess. But he was asked to, he was going to be promoted to the major leagues from the minors, and he was going to be asked to cut his hair. Or, the press said, are you willing to fight against it to keep your hair? You know, because the press always likes some kind of fight. And he said this, When it comes down to it, it's worth it to wear the uniform. If I've got to cut a couple inches to put on this uniform every day, I'm more than willing to do it. The last few weeks, we have looked at our preferences uh, when it comes to the gospel and how many times 
our, our own preferences can become this alternate gospel to us, which causes us to worship alternate gods and ultimately leads us down the path of death rather than life. This week, we're going to be looking at a very similar idea, except it's going to have a new spin on it. What preferences of our neighbors, of those that we're trying to reach, are in the way of us sharing the love of Christ with them? If Clint Frazier wanted to be a Yankee, what did he need to do? He needed to look the part, look up pictures of Clint Frazier. He has a very neat haircut now, though I don't think his stint with the Yankees went very well. But we're only talking about a few inches of hair, not our whole identity. If we as the church want to reach the lost for Christ, there are many things that we are doing or not doing that may be getting in the way of our message to them. Yes, we of course believe that God is in no way thwarted in the pursuit of his people, as we will see in this text. However, in our humanity, there are definitely things that can get in our way. So as we're going to see with the ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and others here, where this kind of thing is going to be seen in action, Paul is seemingly going to go against everything that he just got through fighting for at the Jerusalem Council. But upon closer look, we're going to see that for him was an opportunity to wear the uniform, as it were, an opportunity to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And so with that, as we look at this text, I want to look at three ideas, becoming all things, becoming obedient, and then all things to all men and women. So with that, let's read the text today. Please stand with me as we look at God's Word, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days and on the Sabbath day we went 
outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God the lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she had after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So a little bit of review, just to make sure we understand where we're at in context. Paul and Barnabas, you remember, were in Galatia. They traveled to Antioch. And there, these people from Jerusalem had come up, and there was this issue presented to them. The people from Jerusalem were saying, Gentiles must be circumcised in order to be saved. The people from Antioch were saying, no, that's not the case. And so they all traveled to Jerusalem, and they had this meeting. And in this meeting that we called the Jerusalem Council, has been called that for centuries, it is decided that the Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised to be saved as per the teaching of the rest of scripture. Now in chapter 16 we have Paul and Silas going throughout these cities in Galatia telling the news to the people about the council and he meets Timothy and here circumcises Timothy. We believe that Paul actually did the act himself. Why? Because they were going, there was going to be Jews where they were going. That's what we read. Timothy's father was a Greek, and there was going to be Jews where they were going. So Paul needed to circumcise Timothy. Timothy's mother was Jewish, so in all likelihood, Timothy grew up in this way, a Jewish upbringing. He just wasn't circumcised, and so this kind of completed the deal. Why did he do this? That's the question that's really before us in this text. I think it's important for us to reflect back on Galatians 2. If you want to look there, in Galatians 2, what happens? Paul kind of details the story. He actually talks about how when they went into Galatia, they had a man by the name of Titus with them. Titus was also an uncircumcised Greek. And guess what? Paul refused to have Titus circumcised. And that's what kind of caused this whole mess. So what's going on? That's what started the whole fuss. And now Timothy is having the opposite thing done. It's difficult, but I think Paul's other writings are very helpful here. Todd read one of the look, one of the texts that we're going to be looking at this morning for us. And so the first point, becoming all things. In verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So here he meets Timothy, thus beginning a relationship that was going to be as close as any relationship that Paul had with any person. As we read in the other books, we studied those letters to Timothy, the first and second Timothy. We know the tenderness of those natures and, and or those letters and Paul's relationship with, with Timothy shown in those letters. He wanted nothing more than the best for this young disciple and we have to understand that I think going into this text today 
He was probably a member of those churches that Paul started there in Lystra and Iconium in his first journey through that, uh, that countryside. Paul wanted Timothy to come with him. Upon going to his church, he's like, okay, Timothy, you have to come with me, probably to prepare Timothy for the ministry. Come with me and do the work that I'm doing. They were running around delivering the message of the Jerusalem Council to the churches in the area. Which again was concerning the message of circumcision not requiring salvation. So what does Paul do? He immediately has Timothy circumcised. And the text even says Paul circumcised Timothy. So he did it probably himself. Now we may think that this is a step backwards. The thing that Paul wasn't required to do, or the council said, you're not required to do this. Now he's having Timothy do this. And why? Because the text says the Jews who were in those places. Because they all knew that his father, Timothy's father, was Greek. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The section that Todd read this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 23. I'm going to read it for us again and consider what's currently going on in our text with Paul and Timothy and the Jews that they're getting ready to go see. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So let's break this down a bit. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We could spend the rest of the morning here. I just want to go through this a little bit, especially considering our context there in Acts 16. He says in verse 19, Though I am free from all, even the Jews. Paul being a Jew, he is free from those Jewish traditions. We've talked about that several times in the book of Acts so far. Even though he is free from all, what does he say? I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. Well, Paul was already a Jew. What is he talking about? What does he mean that he became a Jew, that he might win the Jews? In In order for the Jews of Galatia to see that Timothy meant goodwill toward them, Timothy's going to continue to do ministry in this part of the world, that he meant goodwill toward them and wanted to serve them in ministry, he had Timothy become like them. To the Jewish person, what is circumcision? We've talked about this. Even knowing that circumcision isn't necessary for salvation, circumcision was an important part of their heritage. 
their identity of who they were as a people, to desire to minister among a group of people and not be willing to embrace parts of their, the most important parts of their culture is relational suicide. It would completely diminish any kind of ministry that you had among those people. I'll give you an example. Say you move to Peru. I'll just pick a country to do missions. But you insist upon moving to Peru that you don't want any Peruvian food because you don't like it. So you have all your American food imported in. And Peru is known for these really lavish festivals where there's lots of dancing and fun. But you don't dance because you just don't like to dance. And you won't use the alpaca blanket that the villagers have made for you special because you bought one from Amazon. That's nicer. And then you ask, why don't the people listen to me when I preach the gospel? Consider our own mission here in Murray, Kentucky. We want to minister in Murray, but what if we didn't like the racers? And we're pretty outspoken about that. Or we refuse to attend things like the Christmas parade. Or wouldn't be caught dead at a place like Dairy Queen. If we threw out all the culture that Murray has and who Murray is, we cannot expect to win the people of Murray, Kentucky. Think about our new building that we're looking at very seriously. It's an old part of town, way over there by the high school, with very established family, deep roots in that part of town. So should we move in and immediately have a rock concert on Sunday? We wouldn't have any excitement garnered by that rock concert. We would only get noise complaints. Consider the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. More than anyone, what did Jesus do? And He knew more than anyone that there was no eternal value in things like Jewish feasts and Jewish traditions. They all pointed forward to Him, as a matter of fact. They had no substance in and of themselves. But where was he every single time there was a feast? Right there among the people. What did he do? He was a Jewish man. He was in the synagogue. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was presented at the temple. He was, a te- he was in the synagogue every time the, ta- every time the door was open. He went with his parents when they made sacrifices that had no meaning because he was the one to put them to an end. Why did he do that? So that he might win some. What did he come to do? To save his people from their sins. Granted, Jesus could win them all any time. What did he choose to do? To minister directly to their very human needs. To meet them where they were. To love them even though they didn't deserve it right in the midst of their culture and everything of who they were. Brothers and sisters, we should give our own ministries a long, hard look. Particularly, I think, as we consider moving to this building and all the excitement that is going to be with that, how do our own ministries and how should our own ministries reflect the community that we're possibly going to be moving into?
It's a very important question for us to consider and pray about as we consider moving. A rock concert or a soccer league might not really serve that older subdivision, but a neighborhood get-together probably would. I think you guys are really great at coming up with good ideas about stuff like that. We need to consider their needs before we consider our own. We need to become like them that we might win them. That brings me to the next point, becoming obedient. So here they are. They're traveling through this region with lots of very Greek names. And we read there in verse 6 that as they are traveling, they are forbidden, verse 6, to by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, they, want, they come up to this place called Mysia and they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And then Paul has this dream. And from the dream, they conclude that God is telling them to go to this place called Macedonia, which is the northern region in Greek or in Greece. In verse 10, usually when we see the word God, generically it's referring to the Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father. Here we have a representation of a triune God speaking to these ministers of the gospel, giving them direction as to where and how and who they should go. Paul has this dream and he sees this Macedonian man. I don't know how he knew that he was Macedonian, but somehow he did. Calling to him saying, come to Macedonia, we need help. It really doesn't get any more clear than that, I don't think, um, for Paul. Though we should be very careful. Um, This isn't normal. We're not having these dreams. Please don't start bombarding me with all the dreams that you've had about the Lord telling you things that you should be doing, I'm going to tell you what does the Bible say. Uh, This is not normal. Again, you hear me say this all the time. If the Lord is talking to you, He is likely using the Scriptures to do so. But for Paul and these folks, this was very clear. And notice in verse 10, I think it's an important thing to note in in this section here. Verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately... We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. At this point, they likely pick up a disciple by the name of Luke, who would later write the book that we are studying right now. Heading to Macedonia, again, northern region in Greece, interestingly enough, which contains a place called Mount Olympus. The important thing for us here is think is watching how how obedient this group was to the Lord's leading. Not only that, what did they do when Paul saw this vision? Did Paul run out and say, "Listen to me, we have to do this thing"? No, he saw the vision. We sought to go to Macedonia, Adonia, concluding that God called us. What did they do when Paul received this vision? They got together. They sought the wisdom of the Lord. They didn't just go on Paul's feeling, but he went to them and sought the wisdom of the group. They all came to this conclusion. As we're doing ministry, there's going to be times where it is plain to us as seeing someone, hey, come over here and help me. 
Sometimes that actually may be what's going on. Hey, come over here and help me. Sometimes ministry is actually that simple, brothers and sisters. What should we do then? Well, probably help them. We should just do that. The Lord is sovereign over all situations. Remember Ephesians 2.10, what has He done for us to make it easy? He has prepared for us good works that we might walk in them. And so sometimes it is as simple as, hey, come over here and help me. But when it comes to hopping a boat in a seaport called Troas and, and crossing the Aegean Sea to the heart of paganism at the foot of Mount Olympus where people like Zeus and Apollo live, perhaps wise counsel is needed. It doesn't mean the trip is wrong, but seeking counsel is usually always a good thing. Tying that in with what we previously saw, the idea of circumcising Timothy, becoming all things to all men. Becoming all things doesn't mean becoming a Greek God worshiper in order to win them. When I was in college, I was encouraged to join a fraternity in order to reach that fraternity for Jesus Christ. Fantastic goal. However, as a very young believer with not a very firm foundation at all, I was not equipped at all to take on that type of temptation, that type of trial, and I was essentially doing it alone. As you could guess, joining the fraternity was not good for me. They ended up converting me for a time. As we enter areas of ministry, seeking the Lord through prayer, obviously very important, wise counsel of others, always a good thing. And so lastly, the last point is to all people. So the group travels to this region, Macedonia, and they find this place of prayer. A place of prayer is not just some random place where people are playing. It took 10 men to start a Jewish synagogue, and without that, any group of Jewish folks could actually gather together at a place called a place of prayer. Usually, in in that case, it was a group of women that would gather together and pray. And so what we have here is Paul and his friends finding this place and going and encouraging these people, as was their custom, right, to normally go and find the Jewish folks that were living there. As they find this place of prayer, they meet this lady named Lydia. Verse 14, one who heard us, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She was a businesswoman. She sold purple goods, which were very expensive. The reason that purple was so expensive, because in order to get just a few ounces of purple dye, you had to take hundreds of thousands of little marine snails and boil them for a long time. If you're interested in like harvesting purple, I guess you'd need to find an ocean first. But only very rich people wore purple because purple was very rare. And so maybe Lydia had some sort of connections with the higher-ups. We don't know. Some people have suggested that. But what we do know is that this appointment wasn't at all accidental. Lydia was a worshiper of God. We've seen this in other parts in the book of Acts, probably meaning that she was at least a Jewish woman who worshipped God the way she knew how, or she was what's called a God-fearer, a person who was following the Jewish customs but wasn't Jewish. Whatever the case, she had some idea of the true God of the universe, but until now, she had never known that God came down and became one of us, gave himself 
for his people. How did she come to know this? Second part of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And rest assured, Paul was preaching the gospel because that's pretty much what he did. She heard the gospel. Brothers and sisters, in all of our pursuing of the lost, in all of our becoming all things to all people, the end of that is ultimately up to the Lord. And He does all the work. He is the one who brings His own home to Him. Remember in John 10, what did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Think about that for a minute. Think about Lydia sitting there, selling her purple things. Paul walks in, shares the gospel. She hears Jesus and believes. She hears the Master's call, and she follows him and has eternal life. Why? Because from the foundations of the earth, this lady Lydia is one that the Father set aside for himself. One that the Son came to save and one that the Spirit calls to hear and understand and believe the gospel. He or she was his. If we get up, if we get caught up at all thinking that Timothy's circumcision was some kind of secret to this and our own becoming like them is the real secret to ministry we're going to be caught in a con- in a web of constantly trying to attract dead men and women to something that they vehemently deny and reject on their own remember before Christ everyone is lost in their sins and their trespasses they exchange the truth about God for a lie they worship the creature rather than the creator. It's not our own clever devices that somehow change that. It's the Lord alone who opens the heart of people so that they can understand. However, Paul was there with his friends, with the Jews. Even though the Jews in history, in Paul's history, had violently rejected him. They had him stoned. They chased him out of a city. Remember, he was lowered down in a basket. The Jews have only ever gone after Paul, and he's only ever preached the gospel to them. He went to their place of worship. He was constantly around them. He even made sure his closest friends followed their customs so that they might win some. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, how are we at Redeemer Community Church doing this? on both ends of the spectrum. How are we becoming all things to all men and women that we might win some? This might mean that we have to adopt the new idea or new tradition, which is okay, because these things aren't the bedrock of our faith. They're not our identity in Christ. Christ alone is the bedrock of our faith. He alone is our identity. So, on the other end of the spectrum too, are we trusting in Him alone? for the salvation of those people for whom he died. Those people that he is calling out to that will hear his voice and they will follow him. Or are we trying to be clever? Let us be folks who never cease 
learning and loving the people that we minister among and that we minister to. Let us always trust the Lord to draw his people to himself. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, this is difficult because we don't trust you. We feel like we have to be clever. We feel like we have to somehow reinvent things. But ultimately, you know who your people are. You died to save them. Lord, let us then be faithful to preach the gospel to all people so that they will hear and be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.